0: I'm Asa Khalif with the Coalition for Black Lives, and you're listening to the Travel Mug Podcast with Matt O'Donnell.
1: Asa Khalif has become one of the primary faces and voices of the Black Lives Matter movement in Philadelphia. Some say it's because he's just louder and more outrageous than other protesters, that he's simply a publicity seeker who is sometimes profane, mostly provocative. Khalif responds to that criticism in this podcast. Asa Khalif, once with Black Lives Matter Pennsylvania, now with Coalition for Black Lives. Right now on the Travel
0: Mug podcast, here we go. We are a part of the movement. Um, we're not a part of the Black Lives Matter network of the chapters. And so just to alleviate... Uh, any type of division or any type of hard feelings or any confusion. We just wanted to start fresh and we named it the Coalition of Black Lives.
1: Asa, you've been in the news a lot, particularly recently with the Starbucks incident. For people who don't know who Asa Khalif is,
0: what do you want them to know about you? Well, I want people to know that I am not a radical person. I am. A- you
1: know, I was asked, that was my second question. Yeah, do yeah. you believe you are radical?
0: I am passionate for change, I'm passionate for human rights, I'm passionate for the liberation of black and brown people. Um, I am also equally as passionate for trans rights, equally as passionate for LGBT rights. For me as an activist, it's not just uh, limited to Black Lives Matter, anyone who is oppressed in my opinion, I feel that the people need to rise up and stand together and fight that like they stood together for Starbucks.
1: Now, people, I've done my research on you, and I've read what people say about you, and for one thing, they say, listen, this is someone who really, truly believes what he says. Mm -hmm. They mention how you do work with the homeless, feeding the homeless. Uh, You you have allied yourself with Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, and that was a relationship that happened before he became the District Attorney. And then there's people who criticize you, and I know you've heard these criticisms. They, They don't like the fact that you can be very profane, very in-your-face, you can say some derogatory things. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile having those two coexist? And and do you apologize for being in-your-face, profane, derogatory at times?
0: No, I never apologize for any of the actions that I've done. Um, I am a work in progress. I Just last week, um, Saturday, in fact, we uh, spoke at an anti-war rally, with some of our white allies, and it went very well, and I didn't use one curse word. I think most of it, um, in the beginning, stems from a lot of anger. You know, my cousin Brandon Tate Brown was murdered um, by two police officers, um, and I had just started into the Black Lives Matter movement. I talked openly about it, so there was a lot of anger there, you know, a lot of frustration. I think my faith has helped me kind of mellow myself out and give it a little balance. I'll still be in your face if it's necessary, but I think I'm more willing to talk now, more willing to listen, uh, more willing to try to have some sort of resolutions at this point, point. Other than, and protest should, for me, should, at this point, would be the last resort. Um, you know, but I'm a work in progress. I'm a human being. I have feelings. I'm criticized on every hand. Anytime you're doing works, people are going to criticize you. They'll criticize you for the suit you're wearing, Matt. They'll criticize you because you didn't end it quite well. Criticized cause, you know, people, when you're doing things, I don't have time to focus on what people think of me. I have a need to, uh, there is a need in my community. I've been called to fill that need as much as I can. And I'm too busy working for keep people in their homes. I'm working to keep people, you know, to feed. Um, I'm working for people to stay out of prison. And when they come out of prison, I have a place to go to work. I'm doing the work in my community that's that's needed. You know, I'm trying to help black, brown and poor people and that's my mission. And I can't get sidetracked about because people don't like what I say or people don't feel that I'm getting too much shine. Any platform that I have is helping people that I, you know, that I'm helping that's come to me. They didn't know about Eric Riddick. I mean, it kind of got lost in the shuffles. We brought Eric Riddick back to life and let people know that there's a man incarcerated and he's innocent. And there's proof to show that. You know, we need to talk about David Jones, who was shot and called the police officers out. I don't regret one bit going to the police officer's house. You know, these things had to be done for the officer who had a history of shooting someone earlier a black person by the name of Carnell Carney Williams. You know, and no one checked him for that. So we needed to put the pressure on. We needed to break up press conferences. We needed to be militant in that regard. Now the officer is fired and he's possibly facing charges. Hopefully the David Jones family will receive justice, you know. So these things are have to be done. But then I've also sat down with people, landlords, worked out situations for their for the tenants so eviction is um was not the last resort. I've sat and worked in, with a lot of people in this city, you know, and in, in, in allyship. It just depends on the situation. We're coming to you and saying, hey, this is a problem in our community. Will you please listen? Do you regret the arrests? How many times have you been arrested for protesting? I've lost count after 10. I mean, I, it's The most a recent state. was at the district attorney's office. No, the yes, uh, attorney general's the office. Attorney general's office yes. where you were
1: arrested for trespassing and... There was disorderly a, kind you, of, you punched through a window there?
0: I did not punch the window, man. <laughs> okay, what did you do? I didn't punch the window. Um, I actually went there to have a conversation with someone to give us an update. If you um, saw the live stream, we started out, it gradually went into um, a protest at that point and became ver- uh, verbally loud and so on. I did not it was an accident it really was <laughs> honest to god it was an accident because if i came to hit the window i would have told you matt i went there to hit the knock the window out and i would have been proud of it because that would have been a decision but i have never in any of my protests vandalized anyone i've never in my protest assaulted anyone um you know it was an accident i meant to hit the door and my hand you know call it the ancestor's teaching me another lesson who knows but the window went out and the blessing is that it didn't hit anyone man honestly that that's truly a blessing it didn't hit anyone didn't even break was a cheap ass excuse me cheap behind window Uh, a little bit about your background you're from philadelphia Mm -hmm. you went to roman catholic high school
1: you went to temple Mm -hmm. you have a white father who adopted you and it's one thing that I don't know if people would be surprised or something no, that he's been but, here from the beginning. Sure, but for, for people that who don't know you, yes. how how does having a white father form your identi- identity, and does it change anything in
0: what you do as a person? It doesn't change. Um, my mother, of course, my biological mother is is black, and my adopted father um, is white, who adopted me from a baby. All I know is my dad. Um, Early on, very early, he understood as a Polish American that he was uh, raising a black child. So we didn't um, kid around. We didn't kind of put our heads in the sand. We dealt with racism. We dealt with uh, classism. We dealt with all types of issues that is facing him as a white father raising a black son. At the time, it was a very different moment for having a
1: parent who is of a different race. Now, I think people are very accepting of that. I know some people aren't. But at the time, it was, I'm sure it was extremely different as the, the moment we are in now. It's
0: very diffi- difficult. Uh, it was very difficult. It's difficult now. You know, you think that with all of the education and, and the visibility of, of mixed race families that, you know, but there's still that underlying uh, hatred and, and racism. You know, my dad was strong enough. He, he you know, he was part of the um, civil rights movement, you know. He marched in those, um, those marches. He was a huge Bobby Kennedy um, supporter and, and fan and so on. So, you know, my dad comes from Massachusetts, you know, so liberalism is in his blood. He was born a liberal. <laughs> Let me ask you this flat out. Are you anti-police? I've never said that I was anti-police. I've always said I have police officers in my family who I love very dearly. I have um, friends that I went to high school with who are police officers. I care about them very dearly. I've had friends who have been murdered as police officers. Um, I've never said I was anti-police. I am anti-police brutality. I am anti-violence when it comes to black and brown bodies. I am um, anti-violence when it comes to poor people or LGBT people. I believe the police officers, police, law enforcement are held to a higher standard because they have a lot of power. They have a a huge amount of power. They have a license to kill. And with that type of um, license Uh, to police people you have to do it fairly it has to be done properly and you know if if there's any other you know if you want to become the judge jury and executioner then you shouldn't be a part of law enforcement let's talk about the split-second decision that happens
1: right before the moment that a police officer may discharge their weapon I think police officers see it as such a luxury and such a Monday morning quarterback situation for us to be able to go and debate whether it was the right decision for hours, for days, for weeks, for months, where they have to make it in less than a second. Mm -hmm. Do you sympathize with that? Do you understand that? Does that help inform
0: everything else that you do? I don't... uh... I, it's hard to sympathize when you have a white suspect who took all his clothes off and killed four people and was taken into custody without um, any uh, harm done to him.
1: You don't think that was an accident?
0: I don't think. Well, I'm looking at the, the, the pattern. When it comes to black and brown bodies and policing, it ends up in violence or death. And when it comes to our white counterparts, they get, they get treated to Burger King after shooting up and killing uh, in a mass shooting at a church. Uh, you know, or they have the uh, it's just when you deal when law enforcement is dealing with white bodies, there's always um, a hesitation before they shoot. And when it comes to black and brown bodies, it's always I see Jason, I see uh, Darth Vader, I see a demon, you know, and it's it's just, you know, you can see the statistics. It proves itself. I think law enforcement, for those who choose to continue to be. Uh, in that profession, definitely need training, definitely need training. Have you heard
1: of Melo- emotional intelligence training? It's EIT where where mm-hmm. they, they actually take police officers and they
0: try to make them calm down is basically the goal in these situations so they can think clear. Well, I think your mind definitely plays a part in how you respond. So if your mind is full of hate, then you're going to respond in a, in, in, a, in a hateful manner. Um, I think some of these good police officers that they're talking about uh, need to stand up more and, um, if not stand up all the time, to deal with these quote-unquote bad apples. Um, Philadelphia definitely need to start with um, getting rid of the Nazis that they have in their police force. Do you really believe that there are... Are, are well, you I'm just thinking. using that word to be... No. I, I, I've seen police officers with that symbol. Um, I've seen police officers um, who openly in certain um, precincts say that they are white supremacists and very proud of that. I know the Guarded Civic League, um, which is an African-American-run type of union for black police officers, have talked about um, discrimination openly. So the police office, police have a a huge problem with racism in their ranks. Allow me to interject here as I felt it was necessary to
1: allow the Philadelphia Police Department to respond directly to that claim by Asa Khalif. Captain Siku Kindrew with the department's media relations responded by saying the following. We take allegations such as these quite seriously and diligently investigate complaints involving discrimination or unequal treatment. Accordingly, if Mr. Khalif or any other person has information concerning racism among the ranks of the Philadelphia Police Department, he can feel free to alert us through a variety of means, including, but not limited to, initiating an internal
0: affairs complaint. End of the quote. Back to our interview. And so we're going to talk about you know, changing the way the society and the community view police officers. And we must start with getting rid of those with that type of mindset.
1: When we come back on the travel mug podcast, we'll talk about the Starbucks incident. We'll be right back with Asa Khalif. Make sure you subscribe to the travel mug podcast. We have a very interesting one coming up later in the month of May. I won't say too much about it. Other than the subject of the interview is you know what let's just leave it at that subscribe and stream the travel mug podcast on itunes google play or wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned back with asa khalif from the coalition for black lives we want to talk about the starbucks incident in center city everyone knows what happened uh, for those who don't know you were very upfront and you were very visible at that situation and i don't know if we it's We don't really need to go step by step and and moment by moment to break things down. But the things I wanted to ask you about that is taking everyone aside one day as a company and doing sensitivity
0: training, is that really the answer? I think it's a beginning. Um, I am impressed how the CEO jumped in front of this. Um, but it's going to take more than just shutting down for a day. There has to be uh, fallout plans to this. It has to be um, a definitely backup plan. Uh, we de- we need consistency with this. Uh, we wanted to monitor it. How's it going? We need updates in ch- um, in terms of how the sensitivity training is going and when when it's an end game for them. You know, so it's the beginning with with. Um, with the conversation, but the conversation must continue on and make sure that it's implemented in their policies and their um, that they have at Starbucks. Yeah. Has anything similar happened to you personally? I've never had an issue at Starbucks, with most or, or anywhere. Yeah, but no, I've been places definitely um, where waitresses or, you know, the waiter or the manager would even come and say, uh, you know, do you have the right place? And you kind of look at them and say, well, it says all you can eat. I'm pretty sure, you know, it's just and you just have to it's it's I think we've come as black people, we've just become immune to it at this point. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect us. But it's like, you know, oh, here we go again, you know, um, another day of this nonsense. Because it's ignorance, you know. It's ignorance to to view someone and look at the color of their skin and judge them. And you have no idea who they are, what they're about, what what their background is. You you just look at someone and just make a judgment. So that's based on ignorance. And um, I think at this point, you know, ignorance have turned into insanity because you elected a a clown for president so clearly the insanity piece has definitely come into play you need some therapy at this point when people say the
1: phrases all lives matter
0: white lives matter blue lives matter fill in the blank lives matter what do you think I say they are individuals who are afraid to have the conversation that black and brown people are oppressed here in this in this country. Um, we all know that white lives matter. You, you, and your privilege have proven that. You know, um, white lives have always mattered. It's the black and brown lives that have always been tormented and set aside. So when we say black lives matter, we're not saying that uh, white lives doesn't matter and pink, uh, blue, uh, you know, uh, Asian lives don't matter. We're not saying that. We're saying. We know that their lives matter. We know our white uh counterparts uh, lives matter we 're saying our lives are not mattering. People are not rallying around for us. We are not safe around law enforcement and when law enforcement injures us, we need or kill us. We need allies to rally around and say this is wrong. We need people to say right, what is right, and what is wrong but no i 'm not going to um, you know, get into a debate about all lies. I'm talking about me living in black skin, me being um, weary of the police, me being targeted, me being, as a black person, you know racially profiled um, when some God forbid if someone kills me, I want someone to say my life mattered. you know, I want someone to stand up and say he mattered. I wanted someone to say that he was a good person. you know black lives do matter, and so until we can have that discussion hold those who take our lives away accountable, then you know I'm not going to be sidetracked with this white lives or all lives matter nonsense. We know white lives matter, we know that it's proven to us every day. We see it all day long. What I'm saying is we need accountability when black lives are taken. The one
1: criticism, and I'm sure you've heard, about the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, and I want to get your response on this, is that the black communities need to take care of themselves first. They need to stop black-on-black crime. They need to reduce homicide
0: rates in urban areas. Well, black-on-black crime is, again, another smokescreen. I've Gone to, I've had friends in Fishtown, and there have been murders and violence there. Anywhere, uh, you can go to an Irish uh, neighborhood, there's going to be, uh, you know, when we say Irish on Irish crime, uh, you know, we go to the Asian community, we say Asian on Asian crime. Wherever there's a population, heavy population of, of, a, of race, there's going to be, obviously, um, violence towards those individuals who look alike. We are in the communities. We, are ha- we have conflict resolutions. We started that um, two years ago, conflict resolutions. We're working with um, the ministers. We are working with community leaders to um, diffuse it before it gets to violence. You know. But again, um, we are taking care of our community the best way we can. It would be great um, that we would have law enforcement to work with us, but apparently you know, they don't want to work with the community, so it's up to us to do that. But black-on-black crime... Another smokescreen. You don't say white on white crime. You don't say, you know, Asian on Asian crime. You know, any, this is. Uh, a issue of violence or crime in in any community, and it has to be met with people in the community who say enough is enough and find ways to de- um, defuse that before it gets to a gun, you know, and then find out who's bringing the guns into the community, you know. We don't have uh, manufactured warehouses where we're making guns and selling guns. How are all these guns coming into the community? What's up with that, you know? So... We're working on it, Um, but again, we're fighting now for conflict resolutions. We want to um, stop it before it gets to the point where you have to grab a weapon and take someone's life, and that's where we come in.
1: Asa, I have kind of a deep thought question here. Sure. Uh, Stay with me, (laughs) all right? I will. So I kind of see a paradox in American society. We have this history of racism. We enslaved a people that can never be erased there are still racist people in this country now. That is a fact. But then, at the same time, the, the names, the people who still receive worldwide recognition are Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, even after his, his issues with his wife, uh, LeBron James, the most popular form of music, particularly in white, rich communities, is hip hop music, black culture influences dress. It influences language. It influences movies. We see the the success with, with Black Panther. How do you have these two things going on at the same time, or am I am I taking this paradox and just sort of inventing it?
0: Well, the paradox is a little flawed, with all due respect, Matt. Um, when you mention the celebrities, they're on a whole different play playing field because they are celebrities and there's money involved, and they usually are in the one percent. Um, so there's a class issue with that. Okay. Um, so we don't say since. Oprah Winfrey made another million dollars that we've all overcame. Okay, okay? we're very proud that Oprah, um, you know, and any um, person of color who succeeds, um, clearly that's an inspiration for us. But we do not determine our liberation based on Oprah Winfrey or any Michael Jordan or any of these um, phenomenal people. Um,
1: How about the influence of black culture? That- well, black.
0: Black culture has always influenced things. Since you know, since Elvis Presley and stole, rock and roll, yeah, so, yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> we can go there. But again, that's a whole nother culture of appropriation. Um, you know, we're having three or four or five different conversations and not dealing with the one conversation that we must have first, and that's racism and bias in black, uh, towards black and brown bodies. And then we can have side conversations about entertainment and debate, you know, who's better, the Isley brothers or the Doobie brothers. You know, we can have those type of debates. So, And they're fun debates. You know, music brings people together, you know, um, and that's that's a good thing. As long as music, and we have these outside, no matter what culture um, influences, black music um black culture has influenced music, yes, but there's been other cultures that have influenced um, certain sounds and stuff into music as well, so, you know, but we need to continue to have the main uh, conversation and not get it twisted or diluted with other conversations that are not as relevant.
1: We're going to take another quick break, but before we do, I just want to explain, we're here at the Philadelphia City Hall Courtyard and there's this banging going on and we actually tried to get in here to get away from all the noise and we were over at the Octavius Cato statue which is new at the south end of City Hall you should go and see the exhibit because it really tells an important story and For those who don't know, this was a Philadelphia man who was killed over trying to bring voting rights to the black community. What are the inspirations that you receive from knowing the story of Octavius Cato and also seeing the
0: monument? Just a reminder that we come from great people, uh, and there were more than just, you know, a remake of Roots. Um, That's important as well, but I think it's important that we see ourselves... um, from where we came from. And, uh, Octavia, that whole, um, the statue, the legacy that he had, the courage, you know, all that is, um, a part of our history, you know, it's something to be embraced. It shows that we, where we get, um, the fearlessness from and the, uh, the endurance to keep moving. It's an inspiration. It's sad, but it's an inspiring story as well. I'm very proud when I see that statue and, um, I'm reminded also of the white allies who fought for that statue to be out there as well, reminding, you know, even back to the slave um, slave days, you know, you had allies, you know, and it comes down at some point where the people are going to have to unite to, to fight these issues. But I'm extreme. I feel the um, a spiritual vibe when I walk through. Um, I like the voting me, booths. Oh yeah, absolutely! It makes you empower. It empowers you. It empowers you, and you should be right back with Asa Khalif on the Travel Mug podcast.
1: Music for the Travel Mug podcast provided by A Pregnant Light, a fantastic, mostly one-man purple metal project from Michigan. Find APL's music on Bandcamp. Back with Asa Khalid from the Coalition for Black Lives. And I wanted to talk to you about social media. Is that something that you find is helpful generally in the society, hurtful? What is your opinion?
0: It's a double-edged sword. It can be um, helpful, obviously, but it also can be hurtful now with the fake pages and, and the uh, cl- all types of deception when it comes to uh, especially our movement, you know, also the uh, law enforcement monitoring these pages as well. Um, but again, you know, social media is there to be used as a tool. It can be used as a tool of good or it can be used as a tool of evil. You receive death threats? All the time, man. You better not stay too close to me, man. <laughs>
1: you have a bodyguard.
0: I have several bodies on me and, um, and I appreciate those brothers who are willing to put their lives on the line for myself. I would do the same thing for them. Ferguson effect. It's a
1: phrase that former fbi director james comey used to describe why crime rates particularly homicide rates in certain cities like chicago baltimore were rising in his view and this is what he stated back then is that the pushback on police by the communities caused them to back off and not be as aggressive in
0: policing them do you believe in the ferguson effect I don't believe it at all. Um, you are sworn to do a job, and you should do your job. And if you were, for the officers who um, violated the oath, if they had been punished, then it wouldn't have been no need for the community to rise up as they did. That came from uh, generations of anger and hurt of being oppressed and misused and abused by that police um, um, office, by that district. Um, No, I think if you sign up, you should obey the rules and uh, follow through what you signed up for. Um, You know, these smoke screens... We're not going to stop calling out law enforcement when they violate black and brown bodies. We're not going to do it. You can call it the Ferguson effect. You can call it the Golden Girls effect. I could kill less. When officers kill black and brown people or abuse their power against black and brown people and the poor, then we're going to stand up and hold them accountable. As simple as that.
1: Is there a day where any movement associated with Black Lives Matter won't need to exist anymore?
0: As long as they're uh, narrow-minded people um, with awful views and racist views and they are in power, then we're going to always need not just a Black Lives Matter movement, we're going to need a people movement. As you saw on uh, su- last week, on Sunday, it was the people's rallying. I've named it personally for that because people rose up who were outraged about what they saw. So anytime there's racism or Uh, hatred or any type of violence towards minorities, um, the people must rise up, you know. So I think as long as people are in power like Donald Trump and those individuals who think like him and put in policies and and, um, encourage the law enforcement to hurt people, um, we're going to need a Justice League. And you can just call us the Justice League without the superhero mask and cape.
1: Do you have hope? Are you a hopeful person in other regards? Do you see progress?
0: I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm a child of God. I rely on my faith. Um, My faith is built on hope. Um, I'm seeing people come together, um, and they're coming together, and they're not always looking like myself. So I'm hopeful that people will come together and continue to fight. So that gives me hope when I see that. People say that
1: this generation coming through, millennial, whatever you like
0: to call them, and even maybe the one after them. Are so much more open-minded. Would yeah. you agree with that? Absolutely. I have biracial um, nieces and nephews, and, and relatives. They are the future. They're going to be the ones, and I'm I'm so proud. You know, our time we're here limited. You know, I'm making room at this point in my life is to pass on what I've been taught. So I'm kind of like Yoda at this point. You know. I want the, the second Star Wars reference here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a you. You must be a, a fan. I'm a fan. What it's a spiritual component to it also. Yeah, but um, you no. Know, the young people are going to be the ones that's that's you know take us all into this quote unquote promised land. They have the vision. Um, they are not afraid to use the, um, the tools and the gifts that they've um, been given, and they're not afraid to unite to fight. And they will fight for in and everywhere they see injustice. So I'm putting my hopes on them, and I, I believe they won't let me down. Asa Khalif, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me. I appreciate it. You have a good one.
1: Thanks to Asa Khalif for his time. You can find him on Twitter at Asa Khalif. That's K-H-A-L-I-F. You can find his group Coalition for Black Lives on Facebook. Our next Travel Mug podcast will be interesting, to say the least. Can't say much more than that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for lending me your ears and your time. And as always, contact me on social media with your thoughts. Very accessible there. Travel Mug, over and out.